0: Welcome to the Lovability Podcast. My name is Jennifer Stiers, and I'm here with my sidekick, Brad. We're here to talk love and relationships, sex, marriage, and everything in between. This is an honor for me because I haven't seen you in a couple years now. And the last time I saw you, you were out of a relationship. I was doing an interview with you, and uh, you were out of a relationship at that point and kind of transitioning and uh, confused about dating, which a lot of people are, and uh, and now here you are in Dallas for your book signing, right? So now we've got your Never Play Dead uh, book, your your brand new book, and uh, it's a very fitting title given your spunk and where you've come from and, and where you are. Because if people knew your story, if people knew your story, they would understand that this this really is your life that you've you've made you've made your way. You never th- you've had you've probably had more uh, more um, resistance and challenges than the average person. Although you have a lot of things in common with the average person, um, and you've overcome so much and made yourself who you are today, and uh, and things have evolved over the past couple of years, tremendously, a lot of big changes for you. The biggest one, uh, biggest one I'm gonna say, cause there are so many big ones, but the biggest and the best one that I'm excited to talk about today and touch on along with other things is your engagement. No, I mean, for me,
1: being where I am now, I've always struggled in my professional and personal life in that one was always doing well and then the other one was taking a back seat. It felt like when things were going really well in the career, that's when my relationships right. weren't going so well and then vice versa. But now I'm in a position where. I can do both. I'm happy in both places. And they complement one another. It's Awesome. And the last time we spoke, I was just getting out of a relationship with someone who, quite frankly, if he would have proposed to me, I would have said yes. And it would have been the biggest mistake of my life because I was settling in a way that everything on paper hit the checklists. Right. But I was not confident. I was not myself. And I think it surprises people, and I write about it a lot in the book. It surprises people because that was when I was really at the height of my career. That was when the president that I had voted for, supported, been vocal about had just won the election. I was, before I even joined Fox News, I was on Fox News several times a week. I mean, I was doing very well. But personally, I lacked confidence and I lacked self-worth in my relationship. And I felt like I was always trying to be something that I wasn't. And that's why
0: the relationship didn't work. In that relationship, you were always trying to be something that you Yeah, had. absolutely. You know, it's interesting you should mention that because there is an there's an on-stage you and there's an off-stage you and I was I saw that. So I was blessed to be able to see that because we did our interview and I I can honestly say I walked out of there and I've never been so impressed because you didn't use any cue cards. You didn't. You knew everything and there wasn't anything we couldn't talk about. And it you I literally walked out of there and said she's brilliant she's absolutely brilliant and then we then I walked out you were doing some recording afterwards I'm out talking to your producers you come out stand in the crowd of the girls and then I saw it you're in the back and you're off stage now so you're completely off and I saw I have the chills it almost makes it, it touched me so much and I never told you or anybody else this. But it touched me so much because I saw your soul. I saw you back there as an innocent, humble twenty four year old at right. that time. <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw that and I was like, wow, who you were in there is not who you are in in life. So I saw that humanity. Um, and what you're probably what you're talking about with that confidence is not that I would have labeled it as confidence. I just saw the soft you. Right.
1: Well, I think that there's also when people like myself were on TV. Definitely, there is a transition between personal life and professional life. But for me, I still care about the same things. I'm so passionate about the same right. things. But you have to be able to turn it off. If I let my life be dictated 24-7 by politics, I let the anger, the emotion, the passion, the excitement, if I let that dictate my life every moment of my life, I would be a robot. And I think that that's what separates me from a lot of other news personalities and why I was so excited to write the book and really why I show people a lot of my Instagram too, some of the more personal moments in my life when I'm off camera, off stage, is to show people that, yes, I have a TV persona that is who I am, what I believe in, and it is truly Tommy. But we all have multidimensional attitudes about life. Right. And I have a, a different attitude when I'm with my friends out at dinner or at the bar than I do when I'm delivering Final Thoughts or I'm on Fox News. Right. And that's okay, but a lot of times women are expected to just be in one role, especially if it's in a power role.
0: I don't know that women know how, all women know how to transition. I mean, I think what you've done at a very young age of understanding that there is a, f- a switch that you have to flip. You can't be on all the time, you know, and you you can be on and when you're at work, but, but how, do you, how do you make that transition? A lot of women don't know how to do that in a relationship because they still want to lead. They still want to be in control. And men, men you can't, ha- men want estrogen. They don't want more testosterone, right? So that has to be a transition for you and Brandon, my favorite name. Uh (laughs) Um, I have a nephew named Brandon that's just adorable and it's my favorite name. But that has to be something for you and Brandon. Like, how did you meet him? So let's go backwards. Let's just kind of go back. How did you meet him?
1: We actually met very randomly at a bar. Uh, I walked in. I saw him at first. I was like, well, that that guy's cute over there because Mm -hmm. I noticed that. I'm I'm very observant. Uh But then I saw he was wearing a USC t-shirt and I'm like, yeah, I don't (laughs) know if that's quite the guy for me because I was thinking rich (laughs) Southern California. Uh Probably not my cup of tea. And then through talking to him, he actually approached me later talked to my friends first, was mm-hmm. interested and engaged, and then said, you know, hey, you know, I, I know who you are. I agree with most everything that you say, just so you know, I, I'm a fan of what you do. Uh-huh. But it wasn't a fan boy. It wasn't, because I have guys come up to me sometimes, like, oh my God, I, I believe what you believe and can I get a picture? And that's a turnoff for me. Right. But it was very much just like, I, I support and I respect what you do. Right. And that meant a lot to me because in, in previous relationships I had been in, it was almost like my career was a threat. It was an intimidation.
0: Absolutely. And you have to be
1: very secure to be, yeah. be with somebody like me. I'm not an easy person to be with because it comes with a whole lot of spotlight. It comes with a lot of
0: backlash, controversy. It comes with a lot of men wanting to be, you know, <laughs> hitting on you constantly. You don't, right. I mean, it, he, I'm sure Brandon just looks at your feed sometimes to, I mean, here you are talking about something serious right you're talking politics and you've got men proposing to you at the same time that's i mean that's that's got to take a secure man
1: he's very secure and that's yeah. the thing because previously I was dating a Navy SEAL. Now, perception would be, oh boy, a Navy SEAL, he's got to be the most confident guy. I bet he's the most masculine, tough guy in the world. I bet he was controlling. Yeah, but for me, (laughs) it was like, he was actually the most insecure Mm because he was so threatened by what I did Mm -hmm. because he wasn't the center of attention because I was getting attention and he wasn't used to that. So he really resented me for that. And it's almost like he tried to downplay all my accomplishments. I write about it a lot in the book, which made me feel insecure. Because was he a narcissist?
0: I mean, I don't know. He, I don't,
1: I don't know what it was, but it was, it was very much. So if I was doing well, he would shirk it off and he, he didn't want to
0: talk about it. And he would almost make me feel badly. So for in it. a sense, you, you diminished yourself while you were with him as to not intimidate him and not to make him feel less than. So you shrunk a little bit.
1: Well, what I did, we also had a long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. And for me, when he would come visit me, it was like, I had to put on an And act for a few days, Mm -hmm. and then when he would leave, I would be relieved because I could go back to my life and I could live my life again, and I could go back to my routine. Very interesting. And it was he wasn't really a part of my life; he was just kind of a player in my life. But now I have a relationship where it's like this is what it is. I tell you everything. I trust you with everything. You are a part of my life. You understand it. You get it. I don't need to hide anything he's, from you.
0: He's right along for the ride.
1: Right. And he, yeah. he is genuinely proud of me mm-hmm. and he sees everything that we do together as teamwork. We compliment each other. We support each other. And that's what a relationship should be. Unlike past relationships that I've had and that I write about in detail in the book where it was very much a struggle always.
0: Right. Right. Well, uh, so Having said all that, so you you had a long-term relationship way back. Um, six years? Was it a six-year it was relationship? over six
1: years, yes.
0: And that was toxic, right?
1: It was very toxic. And for me, when I write about it in the book, I don't want to ever purposely demonize somebody, but the stories are so important to me because I met him when I was 15 years old. wow I was with him all the way through to my junior year of college through a lot of cheating, a lot of breakups, a lot of... Verbal abuse, emotional abuse. And for me, that was my best friend. And I was strong enough to withstand it. And I knew I needed to be there for him, almost like I had to parent him in a way and babysit him in a way. So I took everything that he did to me and said to me and treated me like, and I took it and I said, well, I'm tough enough to handle it. But it wasn't until later I realized, I don't want to handle this anymore. This is toxic for me. This is holding me back.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I do think, you know, as, as a woman, I think women can get in those roles of being that caretaker because it's in us. And if we had mothers that were good t- caretakers, and I know you had a great mom, that, it's, that we just emulate what our moms gave us. And if our mom was that supportive role, it's what we it's what we do you know, until you, until you wake up. It's funny, I, I, again, reading through all of your stuff and you talk about the importance of having your voice, which you've, I mean, you clearly have one professionally, but it is about, about finding yours and gaining yours personally. I know uh, when I was younger and I, I mean, obviously I'm older than you, (laughs) a lot older than you, but, uh, but my parents' generation, the women were very docile. They were ve- they didn't speak up about things. They just supported their husbands. My mom had five kids, uh, and she- my mom's an angel. She's an- she- to this day, she's an angel, but that was her role. She was a house mom. She took care of us. She was amazing, but she didn't really have a voice. I never heard her speak out to my dad. She never disagreed with him in front of us. They never fought in front of us. Therefore, as I grew up, I didn't have a voice. I didn't have any voice in my relationships. I just thought it was that. I mean, it, it is amazing how you wake up. And then one day, I found my voice. And I always say now, so I have a friend of mine that says, you don't have a filter. You have no filter at all. And I don't. And I don't want to have a filter ever again. Once you lose the filter, you get it. Once you lose it, you don't want it back because you realize it is about empowering yourself. It is about standing up for yourself. It is about protecting your boundaries.
1: No, it's a pattern that you learn. I talk about that a lot politically as well. But I think that in this country, there's a political element where people are afraid to stand up for themselves, whatever side of the aisle that you're on. Of course, for me being a conservative, I see it much more on the conservative side. Many more conservatives are concerned with standing up for themselves for the backlash, the labels, all of that. But that also transcends all the politics and it goes into the personal level as well. And that's why in the book, I I like to talk about confidence being a 360. It's not just I'm confident at work. I'm confident with my family. I'm confident in relationships. It has to be all of those areas, or else you're not truly confident. Another thing that I talk about too, which I think is really the key to relationships is that confidence, because you have to be able to feel confident when things are not perfect. Some people feel confident when things are perfect, when they look perfect, when they're where they wanna be professionally, when they're where they wanna be in a relationship, but that's not confidence. That's a that's putting on, that's fronting something, that's fleeting. Real confidence is when, like what happened to me, you just got fired then after that, in the middle of a lawsuit, you got dumped. Okay, now what am I going to do? But I'm still confident.
0: Right. Well, you know, and I love the word confident, but I, I also think it's bigger than that with you um, because of, I think it's a strength. It's an inner strength, and that comes from knowing yourself, right? That is, I mean, that is where the confidence comes from, but it turns into a strength because you of all people in order to do what you do professionally you have to have boundaries you have to get that it doesn't matter what people are insulting you it doesn't matter what people are loving you none of that matters you've got to maintain your own space and everything and that's a that's a that's a boundary but it's a strength that you have but it is all based on you knowing who you are and your confidence in yourself at this point, which is which is really an anomaly, almost that you're 26 years old, and you have all this knowledge of of life, and I mean just so much, and and the, this brain. So where did where did all this come from? <laughs> so where I am curious because I I heard you answer somebody. Somebody asked you uh, how how you got into politics. And uh, you know, and you said, "Oh, well, I've you know, I used to watch it on TV, and I'd realize where people were going wrong." Right. But where did the love for politics come in?
1: It's a love for politics, but it's also a love of communication, which is what I truly love is dialogue, communication, conversation. So it's politics, and that's the medium that I work in and I love. I'm very passionate about it, but I'm passionate about having conversations. I'm passionate about talking about the things that matter below the surface and really get under the hood and have those deep discussions. I've always loved that. I was also an only child. I spent a lot of time with a... That's probably Mm -hmm. a big thing, and you could give me some insight into that, but I spent a lot of time as a child with adults. So right. I learned how to act like an adult and speak like an adult. My parents sense. never talked baby talk to me. Uh-huh. They always just treated me like an adult. And so that's how I grew up. And I would sit there with a camcorder and just record myself alone talking to a camera. And so it was just a natural evolution for that's me to do amazing. what I do.
0: I know. I remember you, something about some with Play-Doh. Yeah. No, cooking shows. Oh,
1: yes. (laughs) Cooking shows with Play-Doh with my cousins and record them and make my parents watch them. That was
0: what I did pretty much age five to age 13. That Uh was a weekly thing. You knew that this, you knew, you knew something in the media was coming. You wanted to be behind a microphone or behind a camera. Right. Oh,
1: absolutely. that's always been me.
0: Yeah. Um, so your mom was a big influence and you write about that in the book that she's a, been a great inspiration for you. So here's the cool part. I think from a woman's standpoint is that our relationships, we tend to be in our relationships with our significant other, the way that our mom was with our dad. So what's that going to look like with you and Brandon? <laughs>
1: <laughs> my parents been married for 38 years That's now, awesome. but not only married for 38 years, my parents are best friends. My parents. That's awesome. They genuinely love each other and they are genuinely teammates. And I saw that my entire life. So anytime I, I looked at the landscape of what it looked like as a millennial in mm-hmm. relationships, because it's not easy out there, right. I'd always remind myself, well, my parents found it and I can find that too. And I did find it. I found someone that's truly a teammate. There's not a competition there. Everything is additive. Nothing is a takeaway.
0: Uh-huh. So
1: that's what my parents had. And that's now what I have. And that to me is setting up for a really good so future. So is he an only child also? He's not an only child, but he's the oldest. Oh, yes. Okay. So I- I think that that also lends itself. Yeah. He's the oldest in his family. He's the oldest of all his cousins. So it's, that's an independence thing mm-hmm. and an ability to really break out and be the first one to do things.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we talk, I mean, we kind of touched on this um, as we were chatting beforehand, the whole idea of worthiness, you know, this goes back to confidence. And I think that worthiness is a is I call it an epidemic. It really is. And I think where it, Uh, social media plays a big role, I think, in that for people. People get so much validation or not validation from it. Um, I also love, and I don't want to get away from the point of worthiness because it's a big deal for women. It's a big deal for women in relationships. You talk about settling and um, you talk about settling and I think people settle because they don't feel worthy You know, and that's that they don't have the self-confidence, they don't have the self-knowledge, and they're just not feeling worthy. What? Okay. So worthiness. Uh you be talked about confidence. And I want to touch back on the worthiness factor because you talked about settling when you weren't confident in your relationship, you weren't confident in yourself, you were settling for a relationship that wasn't all that you needed it to be, all that you needed it to be. It seemed to be plenty for him, and he was being fed, right? Um, but your needs were not being met,
1: correct? Well, he would always remind me, too, in the areas that I was lacking. It was always a conversation in, in my previous relationship, not my six-year-long one, but the, the two-and-a-half-year-long one that I had just gotten out of. And he actually dumped me on the phone when I was going through my lawsuit with The Blaze. So talk about being at your lowest and someone kind of just throwing you to the wind, I was strong enough to handle it. But for me, it was always what I was lacking. And even on that phone call where he dumped me on the phone, it was, well, you know, you're not outdoorsy enough and you don't like to camp like I do. And, you know, you like to run at the gym and I like to lift weights. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is really where we're at right now. But in my mind, I was thinking, well, what can I do? What can I do to be more outdoorsy? What can I do to, you know, like camping more and all this stuff? And I realized after and after I distanced myself from it. Why am I, with everything I have to offer, allowing someone to tell me that, well, you're lacking in this, this, that, and the other. It's like, no, it's not that I'm not enough. It's that I'm too enough for you. You're threatened by it and you're looking for easy things to try to diminish me. And thank goodness he dumped me on the phone. The last thing I said to him, and I write about it in the book, when he dumped me, I said, I'm gonna thank you for this someday. It's not gonna be today, but someday I'm gonna thank you for this. And that's the last word I ever spoke to him I think he's married now. Funnily, actually, he got married two years to the day that we were at The View in New York together. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things, but it's, it's just a reminder of how far I've come. Right. And I can honestly look back at that relationship and my six year long relationship because he's married now and I think he's got a kid on the
0: way. It's a learning. It's and
1: learning. I can really honestly say, I am happy for you guys. Yeah. I really am. There's not a, an ounce of resentment within me at all. Right. I truly want what's best for them. Right. And I don't
0: hold any bad blood whatsoever. Right. Well, you know, I, truly believe my faith is strong and i believe god sends us the people that he needs to send us so that we learn what we need to learn and we always seem to make it about that person and they're the object but what if they're just the they're just that person that we needed to learn this from and this from and this from and you look back and you take all those things from the things you learned from this, you know, that, that six-year-old relationship, that six, six-year relationship mm-hmm. that you learned about your confidence and being able to stand on your own. I mean, everything's made you stronger and better and prepared you for the love of your life now, right? And that's
1: something I like to talk to my friends about as well. And, you know, I'm actually curious to talk to you about some of that because I have some amazing friends that are either in their late 20s, early, mid 30s, and they haven't found that person yet. And they feel so hopeless And they will tell me to my face, Tommy, I am not going to find anybody. I've had to freeze my eggs. I'm probably not going to find that person. I'm going to need to, if I want a family, I'm just going to need to do it in an artificial way. And they are hopeless. And I really, it kills me to watch girls my age go through that. So
0: why do you think, because if you can find love in this busy world and with your busy schedule, there's nobody that has a busier schedule than you. If you can find it, why couldn't they find it?
1: I think the problem a lot now is, though, is that men are looking for different things, unfortunately. What are they looking for? Men are looking for the Instagram model that they can show off to their other friends. They're not... It doesn't seem as though, at least from the experiences with my friends, and even sometimes to an extent with me when I was dating a little bit, it was like they wanted a trophy. They wanted someone to show off. They didn't really want someone to be with. And we're not talking about 25-year-old men. We're talking about 35-year-old men, 40-year-old men. They just want something to show people, and they overlook all these really amazing, truly wonderful women that they could build a life with because they can swipe on their phone and find somebody who's
0: younger, who's skinnier, who's prettier. It's true. Options have definitely. Technology has ruined a lot of relationships. Uh, Social media, I had somebody, uh, stupid, stupid, but messaging me about... Uh, Her this guy that she started dating, and she was watching what he was liking and loving on Facebook of other women, beautiful women, and there's just so much out there, so much distraction out there. I see that, but I also, and I do, I think I definitely think there are options. There are too many options, but I think a lot of times with strong women, and this is where I feel like you can talk to them because. You have good boundaries, you know how to flip the switch. You know how to be cuz I've seen it. I've seen off stage, I've seen on stuff, you know, on stage, off stage, and I've seen tough and I've seen soft. So I know off stage, you're you're sweet. You're 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 there's an innocence still to you, right? I mean, it's not like somebody might interpret you as being so tough when you are with your business, but as a, you can still be a woman, Mm -hmm. you can still be feminine. And I think that's where some women are getting it wrong, is that they don't know how to, they're either too good of friends with guys, and guys are like, oh, she's a great, you know, guy, friend, and great to pal around with, because they don't see them in a feminine role as needing them, right? Because a man wants a woman he can take care of. A man needs to be needed. Right, and if a woman's so strong that she can't show that vulnerability, and sh- and and need that man, he's not. He doesn't want to stick around. Right? right, there's an imbalance.
1: There is, and I think also confidence comes into play. I have a friend; her name is Rachel, and she's one of my greatest, closest friends. We're gonna get Rachel a date. <laughs> yeah, no, she's actually she has a boyfriend now. But the no. thing about Rachel that I, I tell everybody as a model is, Rachel is so confident in who she is. She's not the skinniest out there. You know, She's owns who she is. And people gravitate towards that because I've seen it. I've seen right. people. I can have friends that are itty bitty size zero skinny LA girls who are little blonde girls. And they walk into a bar with their friends and they go huddle in the corner. Guys don't really want to talk to them. Guys of quality don't. But when Rachel walks in the room, she owns the room. She's got confidence. She knows who she is. And people gravitate towards that. The right people gravitate That's towards true. that. That's true. The
0: right people. Yeah, you said it. Yeah. And I I, I do think it is important, though, that women know who they are and they they... They know what they're looking for, and they have set proper boundaries, of course. Um, Tell me how your mom influenced, because I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I, I think that that's a key thing. I mean, we had started talking about moms and how influential they are with teaching us about our voice, and your mom was somewhat independent. She did what she needed to do for your family, and you saw that. You saw her stepping up to the plate. So how did that influence you in life and in your relationship? My
1: mom is everything that I want to be, and she she lacks confidence, so she has a hard time even accepting it. But I tell her, she's the kindest, sweetest person, will do anything for anybody, would do anything for me, has helped me so tremendously throughout my career. When I've at my lowest of my low, my mom mm-hmm. has been there as a comfort, and she would do anything for anybody, and she would put herself in a horrible situation to help somebody else. And I tell her, I learn from that, because my nature is not as maternal as my mom's, but I learned from her. But one thing that we talked about, and I actually talk about it in the book, and I've talked to her about it on several occasions, is I grew up with my mom not having a lot of confidence. Now, my dad loves her, and they have a wonderful, great relationship, but my mom has not always had all the confidence. She's always compared herself to her sister, sister sister-in-law, I'm not skinny enough, I don't like the way I look, I don't like my clothes, I don't like my hair, and I grew up listening to that. And so there was an element of that in me where I had to shake that habit because we really
0: do mirror what our mothers say to themselves. We comes do, back. or we do the opposite. Do you know what I mean? There's that. There is the, a lot of times if that's our role model, and we look at that, it's almost like with my mom didn't have a voice, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, that was the one thing I always looked and went, "Speak up, do you know?" Right. And and when you see that, and that desire is in you that you want to be different, you don't want to be, and I'm. I'm not calling your mom a pushover, but I'm going to use that word just because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of women that have seen their mothers be that given generations and they grow up going, I never want to be that. So they put this tough wall up, you know, to people and to men uh, and relationships because they never want to feel the way that they perceive their mom to feel. Right. Yeah.
1: And I don't even know if that was so much of that for me, but it Mm -hmm. was just combating a lot of that negative self-talk because I write about it in the book and I've, I've been very open about it. I mean, I got down to a point when I got out of my first six year long relationship and I was 21 years old in college, I got down to the point where I was less than hundred pounds and it was not even just a desire to be skinny. It was a desire to take control back in my life. Right. But I never saw how skinny I was getting. Like in my mind, I was like, well, this is great. You're getting skinnier and skinnier. If I was under hundred pounds, I was thinking that that was great. Like that, that to me was a like a goal that I achieved, and I didn't even realize, even being the confident person I was, I was like looking back, thinking, whoa, I really got to a you know a dark place, and I didn't even realize it because it wasn't a dark place for me necessarily you personally, get out of that professionally. By I guess I just had to be shaken out of it. And I'm very self-aware. So once I, especially once I started to work in media and do what I was doing. And, you know, you look at yourself in the camera a lot, and then you have enough people kind of tell you in a concerned way. And I was able to snap out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people aren't, and right. they, they take a little bit more.
0: Right. But well, that's where eating disorders and things like that come from. Yeah. Is, no, absolutely. Uh, is getting, hearing that negative self-talk growing up from mm-hmm. family members and such. Right. So, and that
1: was always a, a thing in my family. My mom came from a very old school family. Yeah. You know, she would tell me as a kid, her mom was tough on her and they grew up on a ranch and that's just the way life was. But her mom would say something like, oh, Trudy, you shouldn't eat that. Or Trudy, you shouldn't have a piece of pie. or So that was in her mind always. Right. And she grew up with that. And then she never said those things to me, but she mm-hmm. said them to herself and mm-hmm. I heard them.
0: You heard them and you witnessed them. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. You know, uh, it's it is that is an interesting thing, too. I think with, again, social media, women comparing themselves to other women. Um, online. Um, I'm sure men do it too. Um, <laughs> we're not talking about men, but uh, but women comparing themselves to other beautiful women. And there's so much competition out there. Women, women competing, number one, with other women, which is just stupid, especially for men. You see a lot of that, uh, which at least I do. Uh, I think it's crazy. There's plenty of men to go around for everybody. We don't have to compete with each other for them. But but that whole idea of a perfect woman, and even, and men buy into it too, because now we've got, you know, we've got people that are beautiful, like yourself, that are on social media that men see, and then there's people that edit their pictures to be more beautiful. And so everything is, uh, everything is not always what you see. And so it's about, you know, what's with, it's, it is what's within, because it's what much more important down the road, Right.
1: We're also in a time where body parts are just a suggestion. You're you're God-given body parts. The Kardashians have proved that time and time again. But it is understanding that social media is not real life. Mm -hmm. What I tell a lot of young girls that are lacking confidence, I like many other women used to do that when I would walk into a room, I would immediately look around and see if I was the prettiest one in the room. And if there was a girl that I thought was prettier than me or as pretty as me, I would immediately try to pick her apart in my mind. I would never say it aloud, but in my mind, I'd look at somebody and be like, well, that's my target. She's pretty, but what, wait, wait, like her clothes are this, or, you know, oh, she's got a weird nose or, and that was what I would do. And I realized that that is, that jealousy and that, that intimidation, that threat that I felt from somebody that was just in a room that I thought was attractive was so ridiculous. And it wasn't helpful. It it wasn't doing me any good. It wasn't doing anybody else any good. So now when I walk into a room, I walk into the room, like I already own it. I might not be the prettiest in the room. I might not be the smartest in the room. Yeah, it's me, but I know I'm uniquely me. And I know that I'm the only one that's going to offer what I'm going to offer.
0: And you've built your brand and it's one thing I truly respect about you. You've built your brand and you haven't had to show off too much. It hasn't been about your body parts and all of that. I mean, your pictures, there's, they're cute, sexy, but they're clean. I mean, honestly, they're clean. And so you've you've at least given women, I think, a good role model. And I I commend you for that because I feel like there's so much out there for young women to be something, all the pressure to be something, when they need to just embrace who they are. I think the younger generation is more about, you know, owning who they are and and not not. It doesn't matter weight doesn't matter as much, looks don't matter as much. Um, the millennials are completely different. They're so different from from everybody else. Um, so let's talk more about the love of your life. So you, you met the love of your life. Um, so you met him in the bar. We kind of go back there. Um, so what what captivated you about him? Like how does how did he step at like Sure. Yeah.
1: Well the funny thing is actually when I first met him, I was dating a country singer at the time. Cause I went through that phase too. Well, I went through that phase in my mind where I was like, listen. I'm never going to be with someone who gets my life because I just got out of the relationship with a seal who did not get my life. So right. I'm thinking the only way that I can find someone that's really going to get it is if I date someone that's also somewhat in my industry. And sometimes that works. And, and sometimes it does. It didn't work for me just because that they didn't really want to get to know me either. Um, and it was long distance, but I was actually dating someone else at the time. And so when I met Brandon, it was kind of like, Oh yeah, it's someone local here. He's like fun. He can come hang out with me and my girlfriends in our group. Cool. Didn't really take him seriously. And then he actually asked me out on a date, which a lot of girls now, if they're actually asked out on a proper date, they look like deer in the headlights, which we have to get over. (laughs) But he asked me out and we went and talked and he started telling me how, Oh, all the politics in California that bother him and that he calls the local senator and he complains about this that and the other and he sits down and has meetings with them and then I started taking notice like yeah. whoa you actually care Do about something. the things yeah. that I care about uh-huh. and it's not just like because some people come up to me like I'm a Trump supporter okay yeah we can all be Trump supporters but someone that actually took an active role He's and was like I'm passionate about, about this yeah I took a second look I'm like whoa he cares about the things I care about the value checklist you hit a value there that was important to me, and that was passion, and right. that was a direction.
0: Right. Not everybody has that. Right. Right. And he obviously has, um, he obviously has motivation, and um, and drive right? To do, to actually do something about what he says. I think uh one thing that you say is you kind of broke the mold with him, that you had a pattern. And I think a lot of people have patterns. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but everybody has a pattern. It's whether that pattern's working for you or not. And I think that's the other place where a lot of people go wrong, both men and women, is that they keep dating the same pattern, the same guy, the same girl over and over again in a different body, right?
1: Or in a very similar body, which was my issue. Oh. So if you would stack up all- All my boyfriends side by side, they all look very similar. I always (laughs) went after the muscular tattoo military or baseball player or country singer. I mean, that was all very much my type and so when I met Brandon he didn't really fit that checklist you know he's not in the military he's not incredibly muscular he has no tattoos so for me at first I have to be honest even though I love my time with him in my mind I was still reverting back to well he's not your type and I actually we went through like four or five weeks where I just kind of ghosted him and it was like you know what I need to go back to my type and I told my friends that you know I need to go back to my type I need to go back to the, uh, I need to find a marine I need to find a police officer I need to find someone that's like the traditional manly thing. And I, in my own head, I was sabotaging what was a great relationship because it didn't fit where I thought I needed to be with. Was I see it my his, friends Was it his that.
0: personality? What was it that wasn't, what, that wasn't these other guys? Oh, it eyes. was just
1: the, it was the, you're not in the military. You're not in law enforcement. You're not like huge, muscular, tatted out. You know, it was just, it was a different, you know, he's tall, so he's that was skinny. your idea
0: of a man. Yeah. And it
1: was, and it, I just had always dated somebody. And I always thought in my mind, oh, you need to be with someone that's hyper-masculine because if you're with someone that's hyper-masculine, you'll feel more feminine. But that really wasn't the case. I just needed to be with somebody who was confident and knew who they were and was very secure in themselves. And allowed
0: you to be who you were.
1: Exactly, and didn't try to constrain that.
0: Right, right. That is hard, that is hard to find. And I think, too, when it comes down to that power struggle, I think with women getting more power... Women don't know how to handle it, and men don't know how to handle it because I think back again to the same conversation. Women don't know necessarily when to turn it off, and uh, and I here's how it sounds, and I think this is good for all women to hear because this is this is what it sounds like. A woman will say to me, "Jennifer, I can be I'm tough in the boardroom." but I know how to be soft and sensitive there. I'm, you know, tough with my kids, but I can be soft and sensitive. The only place where I don't have any boundaries, you know, I have boundaries everywhere and strength everywhere, but the only place I don't is in my relationships. So it's like women, that is a problem amongst women is that they have all these other personalities in their life, and you kind of talked about that before, but all these other personalities that they knew how to play the role in but then you put them in relationships and they have no idea what that looks like or how to do it.
1: Especially for women like myself, who I am very controlling. I am not controlling of others, but I'm very controlling of myself. Right. So I am very routine oriented. I know what I want to do. I'm very independent. That's probably from being an only child. That's probably from entering the industry at the age that I did. I've always had to take care how of myself. How you
0: were you when you, got through, when you got in the industry?
1: 21. Oh my God. That was my first show.
0: That's insane. That was in L.A.?
1: That was in San Diego. It was my first network, my first show, 21 years old, right out of college. I got the job before I graduated college. I had to go move there. I didn't know a soul. Then when I moved to Texas for my next job at 23, I didn't know a soul. Nobody moved to LA. I knew a couple people here and there, but by and large, didn't know a soul. Those are growing opportunities for me though, because when you don't know anybody, you're put out of your comfort zone.
0: You mentioned in your book that you suffered from social isolation uh, from social isolation. And uh, is that when you were moving? Is that when you, is that?
1: No, not so much. Really, what it is, is what comes with me is not what comes with a lot of other women, even really strong women who are business women, who are CEOs, who are running companies. With me, it's a little different because I'm in the media and I'm in politics. So, And I also, in conservative politics, and I say things that some people find controversial. So it's hard to be friends with me. I know, right? (laughs) Big shock. Um, It's hard sometimes to even be friends with me, not because you disagree with me, but some people just don't want the spotlight. I went through that a lot here where I have friends in Dallas who... Ride or die. They don't care. They don't care if people are mean to me. They don't care if there's backlash. They don't care if they're seen out with me and it's like an ordeal. They don't care, but I cared because I didn't ever want my friends to have to go out to a bar on a Friday night and deal with it. So I would almost leave, I did. Oftentimes, even here in Dallas, I would leave early because people were coming up to me, even if it was positive, even if it was people wanting to take pictures with me. I didn't want my friends to have to go through that and have to sit there and have their night ruined by people coming up, taking pictures, people coming up, making mean faces, saying rude things. So when I talk about social isolation, that was a lot of it. Um, And I've learned to find a good group of people and really trust that they don't, they really don't care. And my crew, my crew doesn't care. And I know that now. So I'm I'm over that. I don't care anymore.
0: That's interesting. It makes me think of, again, it's that confidence thing though, too, is that it would be hard, especially if you have other single girlfriends that don't have boyfriends and are having a hard time finding love and all the attention's on you at some point you know it's you feel bad but you've got to you've got to probably feel guilty a little bit I mean I'm sure there were parts of you that felt like I feel bad I'm gonna leave and let them meet people and talk to people I'm getting all the attention does that ever happen it has but
1: because I am conservative and controversial it's much more politically charged so if I was doing sports broadcasting or I was an entertainment reporter I think it'd be a lot different but for me it's such a mixed bag with my friends that it's not even necessarily I was taking attention away from them as in men were wanting to talk to me it was more so there was just eyes on us and I felt uncomfortable for them got it But sometimes it's an asset. I mean, I, what I've learned to do now is use that, Mm -hmm. that I found is to be a tool because sometimes I'm an icebreaker. Right. And I've done that several times where it's like, I'm an icebreaker. I am. They can come (laughs) up and talk to me. They'll be like, oh, hey, Tommy, you know, I love what you do or whatever. And maybe that allows them or my friends to kind Uh of start a conversation.
0: So, uh, so interestingly enough, I, I think there's so much with with what you've been through with um, your life and your relationships what do you if and I'm going to ask you just a couple silly questions but but I feel like in your 26 years you've been through a lot more than maybe somebody that's even in their 50s given what you've what you've endured in the public and um, what advice would you give somebody, a woman that is single and looking for love? Because you did find it in the midst of massive chaos in your life, truly. You found it. What, besides the one thing, which is stepping out of your type, because at some Mm -hmm. point you went back to Brandon and you you gave him a chance. So I think that would be one lesson you would want women to know is, As uncomfortable as it is to be with somebody who isn't your type and isn't your norm, even energetically, to to stick it out? Because how long did it take you?
1: Well, you know, the the thing about it is, I always loved being with him, but I, in my mind, I knew I loved being with him. I loved being around him. And it's not, he's a very good looking guy. Let's not get it twisted. He's very attractive. I was very attracted to him. He just wasn't my typical type. But still, so just I was, put him in a different right. box. So I think sometimes and I have a friend that does this. I have a friend and I'm even going to say her name. She's my former producer at The Blaze, my best friend, Jessica, who has when I say no type, I mean no type. She's dated people that we all look at her and be like, Jessica, what was that? She has no type, and I I actually counsel her like Jessica. You have to find what you're attracted to. You it's have like,
0: to know your type. You That's... have to
1: know what you're attracted to. Sometimes you might surprise yourself; might be a little bit different than what you normally go for. But attraction is important.
0: But need is important too. Like one of the one of your big needs was is you needed somebody that was confident enough in himself mm-hmm. to be able to take you and your life on. You know, right? I mean, oh, not yeah. that but you know what I'm saying. So. That was a need, a great, great need. I mean, it was right at the top of your list when you met him. And so I think that that is the one thing that women need to know. And men need to know it too. What do you need? And does this person meet my need, right? And are they who
1: I want by my side in 20 or 30 years? Is that who I want to take a picture with and post it? Or is that someone I truly want to be with because I enjoy their company? They get me, I can be 100% myself. For me, that was the biggest thing. And, you know, I, I talk about it a little bit in the book, but it's something I talk about with my friends a lot. I went through a time where even with having a boyfriend for two and a half years, I would not take my makeup off. No, wouldn't happen. Never. I was so unconfident in just me that I wouldn't, seen without makeup on yeah now it's not even a question it doesn't bother me in the least right but that's a big thing and that's it for me what I know when I can recognize things like that in myself mm-hmm. when I'm so comfortable with somebody that right. something like that that used to be a non-negotiable to me no makeup is always on hair is always done now it just seems so simple and easy and that was a big indicator to me that this is the person I'm supposed to be with
0: right that's awesome that's awesome The the superficial stuff goes away and that person and you said it is your best friend He's your best friend, right? Oh, absolutely. And we enjoy talking about the same things. I mean, if I don't see him for a couple of days
1: and we sit down and have conversations and we can talk for hours and hours and hours about stupid, silly stuff, or we can talk about politics or we can talk about values. We can talk, we, we really talk about anything. We talk about our friends. And one thing I would tell single women to look for when they're meeting somebody, find someone who's genuinely interested in you. Right. Interested in getting underneath the hood and, and peeling back the layers. Yeah. That's what to me was
0: important. It's funny. I hear women say all the time, uh, that they'll go out with some a man, uh, on a date and then they ask about the man the whole time. And they'll, I hear this a lot. They'll say he never asked a qu- me one question about me. Like I offered up information, but he never asked a question. It's like gong. Like what, 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 what are these guys doing? Take interest. It's such a red
1: flag for me. That would never cut it with me. I can tell you that is for certain. But that's an epidemic now. And I think a lot of it has to do with, if I don't know if it's millennials or even sometimes older, it's this entitlement mentality of where everything is about me. Everything is about the individual. I'm the most interesting person ever. And sometimes people just have not been taught manners or they haven't had to practice manners. I don't know what it is. I will say
0: this as... As a matchmaker, I will say I will not babysit an adult. I will always tell people that if you can't follow up with a phone call, if you can't do this, I'm not going to baby you. I won't do it you're an adult. I won't do it. You're done. I won't, I just, I won't do it. So right. yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the future because, um, I feel like here you are, you're in, you just got engaged. Okay. What was the date you got engaged? Was it June 29th? June 29th. Yep. Oh, I can't believe I remember that. Okay. So June 29th, which was a year and a half. Exactly. From exactly. When, when you met him. Uh, and, uh, and now you guys have to make decisions about your future. So your career, I mean, obviously you're going to, you, are you going to be a mom? Or are you going to be, are you going to stay in your career? Are you going to have kids? I mean, are you talking about all these things? No, it was always
1: a conversation. I think that that's important in relationships to know that you stack up and that you very have important. the same values because you don't want to get into a relationship with somebody who's has a non-negotiable. They don't want kids or they want a ton of kids and that's not what you want. So we've had that conversation. You know, I'm 26. I'm about to be 27. So I feel like I have some time. I'm not going to, I'm not one of those people that wants to defer motherhood until much later, but I have time. I will always have a career. That will always be important to me. I'm not a whole person without my career. I just need to do it. I'm not one of those women and not knocking women, but I'm one of those women that I have to be doing something professionally. That's just
0: where you I need might to shock yourself down the road and change your mind once you become a mom. I've seen it happen, but I, I, I just, I don't, I, don't, I agree so. with you. I don't think you're going to, I'm just saying it, it does happen. I've seen it a million times. Right. Well, I come from obviously a family
1: of one and yes. he's a one of three. So he would love to have three. Uh, then we whittle it down to two. And then now I'm trying to get the the one to be a conversation, but then again, who knows where we're going to be in, in a few years. that might completely change. But for me, I, as an only child, I think if you have one good one and a
0: couple of rescue dogs, <laughs> you're set up for success. Great. Well, you know, the thing, well, I came from five. So the cool thing about having more is that you always have somebody to play with. You always with have dog. somebody to talk to. You can play with the dog. Dog. My dog is almost like the, a person. Right. She is. You know, that's conversations that we'll definitely have. So there's a compromise coming though, because he wants three, you want one if you have, Mm because you do want one, right? Yeah, I think so. You'll compromise, you think so. I think so. Again,
1: it's so hard for me to look at it in terms of that, just because I am 26. And I want to get through and not nothing that my parents did, which I don't have the luxury of waiting 10 years, but my parents, my mom got married when she was 19. They didn't have me until she had turned 30. Wow. So they spent all that time together. That's amazing. And then they were really ready to have a family because they had spent that time together. That is important to me. 10 years. I don't have 10 years. I'm not going to wait 10 years, but being married and having time together to have life together before having a family is important to both of us. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, good. Well, uh, don't be in a rush. No, I'm not at all. I mean, don't be in a rush. All these all these people are so in a rush to have babies all the time and um, and worrying about their body, you know, breaking down. And we're living longer. We're healthier. It's not, yeah, you don't have to be in a rush. But I will say there's something to be said for having multiple siblings, though. At least one other. Um, because, I mean... Were you ever lonely growing up? Were you ever? No. See, and that's, I really attribute a lot of my
1: success to being an only child, but I also had cousins that were almost my same age. I have a cousin that's, I grew up with, she's three weeks older than me. I have another cousin that's a year older. I have a cousin that's a year younger. So I grew up with cousins. Right. But I spent a lot of time alone and I might be weird. It worked for me. I know it doesn't work for other people, but it's always been worked for me.
0: It, it has obviously worked for you. I mean, you've been highly successful. You're 26 years old and you're highly successful. You're a media star. I mean, there's not anything you can't put. You have like a, a million and a half followers on Instagram. It's insane. I mean, you put anything up and it's, you know, picture your dog and it goes insane. Uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on because I feel like this book, so much of your book is, is your personal life. And we didn't get into too many details on here, but I wanted to. But you, ta- and I- because I want to know, mm-hmm. um, you had talked about uh, addiction and suicide being a part of your life growing up. Could you just touch on that a little bit and how it, ch- because once that touches your life, it changes it. There are parts of you, it changes forever. So can you tell us the story? Sure. Well, I grew up not knowing that my grandpa was an alcoholic. I
1: didn't really know that. I never really saw that. I was never obvious to me. Uh, I didn't know what it looked like to be drunk. My parents didn't drink. And so I guess I, I just didn't even know what that was. I just thought that that was normal or a personality trait. And then as I got older, I started realizing, and this is probably seven, eight, nine years old. I started realizing, okay, something's a little different here. But my, my grandpa suffered from depression and therefore alcoholism. So that was something that I dealt with. And then he got help. He got completely sober and everything was wonderful and was you know, he self
0: medicating with the alcohol because of the depression? It was, that- yeah,
1: definitely was. And you know, he didn't want to take medication. My grandpa grew up on a, a ranch. He never, you know, he didn't even graduate from high school. So right. it was very much a tough culture. And so he didn't want to be on medication. He didn't want to get help. He didn't want to do any of this. So that the way that you dealt with depression and the way that you dealt with those feelings of not being enough was through alcohol. And that's how his dad grew up. That's how he grew up. And so Uh that's what he always saw. Um, But he did go through a transformation when I was in high school. He went and got completely sober. He started taking depression medication and, and everything was great for years. And then there was... A time when I was a sophomore in college and I didn't know it at the time, but my grandpa stopped taking his depression medication, didn't feel like he needed it anymore. And it was in a matter of a week where things went completely back downhill, started drinking again. And then, you know, really three days later, he couldn't it wasn't even the drinking that got him. It was that he couldn't take the fact that he disappointed the family that he couldn't handle. He disappointed us once before. Then he went and got sober. And then the thought of disappointing us again. Wow. Was too much for him. And so he took his own life. And that's something that was important for me to recognize because I have a lot of the personality traits of my grandpa. Of course. And so understanding those feelings of always having to make a lot of money, always having to be super successful, always having to best yourself. That was what my grandpa had. And it was very advantageous to him because he built a multimillion dollar ranch, only having an eighth grade education. But on the flip side of it, it was always striving to feel like he was enough and he never felt like he was enough. And he would take it out on my grandma, not physically, but verbally. And I started noticing things like that in my own six year relationship. And that's when I really realized I needed to get out.
0: Right, Because I started
1: seeing that pattern. I love my grandpa, I love my grandma, but I didn't want to end up like that. Right,
0: right. You know, that's um, that's that's a really interesting journey uh, because also you see what perfectionism does. You know, that idea of if you, given what you do for a living, you, you don't make everybody happy. There are people that love you and there are people that hate you. You know, and that's just, that's how we all are, right? I mean, maybe, but because of what you do and the stance that you take, you take a lot more heat than the average person. That's why I said your boundaries have got to be so incredibly strong. But that that was a life lesson for you right there with your grandfather. I mean, for you to be able to say, you saw it, you know? You didn't disappoint us, you, dis- you disappointed yourself. You didn't want to admit that to us. So instead you left the world, you know, you took your own life. I'm sure that that had to have played into your letting go of things so that you didn't take on that much pressure. I mean, because... That's what it results in for a lot of people. I still probably put
1: too much pressure on myself. It's something that I still combat, but I'm aware of it. Right. I'm also aware of things like uh, but addiction. it's a good reminder. But no, it isn't. I'm very aware of addiction and depression right. because I have that gene in my family. I know because I have other family members that have struggled with alcoholism. So I'm very aware of that in myself. And so I have to be aware of it to make sure that I don't have that pattern that that doesn't happen to me. So I have to be very aware. But the thing that I also learned a lot from my grandpa's experience was knowing that you are enough and not letting outside factors dictate if you are enough or not. It's not how much money is in the bank, it's not how many followers you have, it's not how many likes you have. It's not what network you work at. It really is knowing that you are enough and knowing what you bring to the table.
0: Right. That's a these are hard lessons. I mean, I'm I've been coaching for 25 years. These aren't things that people just go, "Oh, I wake up one morning and get something." Like you get it. You get it. And you're able to put you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together and go, if I do this, at least to this, and then at least to this. And this is where I'm going to have to pick myself up. And this is what I did wrong in that relationship. And this is where I was thinking wrong. And this is where I need to think, right? Like just the um, the amount of self-control that you have and uh, and perseverance and determination is unbelievable. I mean, it really is. It's it's not something I can honestly say I've ever seen in anybody in my life, much less somebody who, a beautiful woman who's 26 years old. So Brandon's lucky. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) He's a lucky man. I mean it. Um, so, uh, so I hope, I hope your book is an amazing success. Um, I'm glad you're standing up and you're talking about the things that matter. I'm glad that you're young and you're talking to that generation of women that are young and, and teaching them about their self-worth because I don't think it's something that's being discussed. So keep, Keep your platform, keep doing what you're doing. I don't, I'm not going to sound condescending, but I'm, it might sound, con- I'm proud of you. I'm so proud oh, thank of you. you. for for doing what you're doing and, and, and exposing yourself in the way that you have in this book, right. And being vulnerable to help other people and to inspire other people because you've inspired me. And I know you're going to inspire a lot of women and men that are listening to this. So
1: I appreciate that. And that's really why I wrote it. If I can touch a couple of girls, which I know that I have, and, and they can find a way to use my stories to help self-reflect and look at their own lives. That's what this book is for.
0: And if and if you can persevere and you can make it through, what you've made it through professionally and you can find love in the midst of the massive amounts of chaos and challenges that you've had, anybody can find it. I mean that, anybody can find it. It's, it is truly a great inspiration. Well, thank you so much. Okay. It's good to see you again. I know, you too. <laughs>